Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Our scripture reading today is uh, Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that has now at length you have received your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing penalty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Well, good morning. Thank you, everyone, for, uh, for getting us this far. Uh, it was a cool testimony. I, I don't know if we caught her name when the video started, but that was Heidi Williams. Most of you know Heidi. She uh, grew up in our church, and she spent a couple of weeks. She's actually doing a two-year stint with a ministry called... Um, actually, she finished it up, didn't she? She's not there anymore. But uh, she, she finished a ministry with a ministry called Life Action Ministries. They were with us last spring, and she just was on a two-week uh, trip in Central Asia. So that was that report from Heidi. I tried to get her, her here live. She was going to be here live two weeks ago, but if you were here two weeks ago, you remember the service was already really long. So, so I asked her to make that video. So thank you, Heidi. Thank you, worship team this morning. Um, we are in that passage you just heard. So if you didn't turn there already, please turn to Philippians chapter 4. And uh, we're actually going to look at verses 10 through 20. I asked Brian to just read that first part because I wanted that to be resonating in our brains as we uh, came to the text this morning. So let's pray and we'll get right into it. Father, thank you so much for uh, this, uh, this time to gather together, to worship you, to sing your praises, and to study your word together. And uh, I just want to invite you now, Lord, <clears throat> into, uh, into uh, this room. You're here already. You're always here, but in a, in a way that we can understand in your word. Help us to understand these things you're saying to us and help us to apply them to our own lives, especially this week. It's a timely, timely passage, timely message. And so we look to you now for your help and your grace. In Jesus' name, we dare to ask. It's in his grace. Amen. Well, a man was walking down a busy street, and uh, he'd, he, was, he was kind of troubled. He'd fallen on some hard times financially and really just struggling that way. And uh, he, he was so preoccupied with his struggles that he kind of lost track of where he was. He forgot that he was out in public and and so as he's walking along, all of a sudden, just right out loud, he says, man, I would be happy if I just had $100. I'd, I'd be happy with just $100. At that very moment, a, a wealthy businessman happened to be coming from the other direction. This guy was walking that way, and he was going this way. And he heard him. The businessman heard him, and, and he stopped, and he said, okay. 
And he reached into his coat pocket, he pulled out his wallet, he removed a $100 bill, and he handed it to the man. He said, here you go. Good luck to you. He put his wallet back, and he kept going. Not another word. He, he disappeared off into the crowd. Uh, the first man stood there for a minute. He's kind of watching him go, and he looks down at this $100 bill, and he says, man, I should have said 1000 This morning is the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving early, by the way. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, It's a good time to talk about gratitude. I'm sure pastors all over the country are are talking about gratitude, if not this weekend, then next weekend. And I decided to do that this year, and I want to do it from this passage, Philippians chapter 4. And as I said, I want to look at with you at verses 10 through 20. Uh, If you've ever studied Philippians, and many of you have, you you probably know that uh, Philippians is actually a thank you note in its most basic form. uh, That's the reason Paul wrote it. The Apostle Paul wrote uh, Philippians to thank them, to say thank you to the Christians in Philippi for their support. And apparently they'd sent him a gift. They'd sent him a monetary gift to help him in his work as a missionary. And so he does what Heidi just did on that video, right? He just says, thanks. Thank you so much. Uh, for, for supporting me. And, and he actually gets to the thank you part at the end of the letter. He does it in, in chapter 4. Uh, however, Paul being Paul, he doesn't just say thank you and then wrap things up. He, he uses the opportunity uh, to talk about gratitude. And specifically, he talks about the secret, the secret uh, to gratitude, because he knows what you and I know, which is that gratitude does not come easily uh, to most of us, right? It's not a, a natural sort of a thing for most of us. Most of us need to learn it. We need to learn how to be grateful. And a big part of that, a key part of this thing we call gratitude, according to the scriptures, is contentment. Contentment. If we're going to be grateful people, we need to learn contentment. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning, because that's what Paul tells us. He says that the secret to gratitude is learning to be content. The secret to gratitude is learning to be content. Our passage, our outline this morning is pretty straightforward, actually pretty simple outline this morning. I just want to walk you through three lessons, three uh, lessons that this passage teaches us about contentment. Uh, We need to learn these. If we're going to grow as grateful people, and like I say, that's something we think about especially in the third or fourth week of, of, uh, of November, but it's something we should be thinking about all the time. And so if we as Christians are going to grow in, in gratitude, then we should learn. We need to learn these three lessons about contentment. So let's look at Philippians 4. We'll start with verse 10 and uh, look at these three lessons together. Uh, the first lesson is that contentment is independent of our circumstances. That's where Paul starts. Uh, our contentment is independent of our circumstances. It doesn't depend on what's going on in our lives. That's what he says. That's what we need to learn. And he talks about it in verses 10 and 11. He weaves it in, actually, the whole passage, but we'll start with 10 and 11. So he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He's talking about the gift they sent. Uh, You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Uh, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So as I said before, the, the, the motivation for the letter, he gets to the motivation now, and you know he's, read, he's if you've read Philippians any time in the recent past, in fact, I think we studied through it a chapter at a time this summer. Many of you probably remember Philippians from that. Uh, his, he's, he's writing, he says lots of amazing things in this letter, but, but he gets to the thank you part here. And they had sent him, uh, as I say, a gift. The gift was money, almost certainly. 
Uh, he is in jail. Paul is in, well, technically house arrest. He's in the city of Rome, uh, waiting to go stand trial before Caesar. And, uh, he, and actually, the way the Roman system worked in this kind of a circumstance anyway is he actually has to pay his own way when he's under house arrest. And so the Philippians had sent him some money to, to help with the rent and the expenses and so on while he waited. It ended up being two years, they tell us, uh, that he waited. And so they had sent him some money. Uh, this wasn't the first time, though. He says that. This was not the first time the Philippians had helped Paul. They'd helped him numerous times before. Uh, that actually explains, uh, just to get some more of the verses in front of us here, uh, look with me at verse 14, where he talks about how they've helped him before. Uh, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Right? The Philippians were among his most faithful supporters, apparently. Uh, even in Thessalonica, I don't know what's so special about Thessalonica that he puts it that way, but even there, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So they've helped him before. They had a history uh, with Paul of supporting him. And, and apparently, if you read it closely, verse 10, he seems to be saying that they hadn't supported him in a while, but he wants them to know he doesn't resent that. You know, he says, you know, I'm, I'm, I appreciate what you've done now. So I'm grateful, right? So there's your, your thank you note part. But there's another piece to this here for Paul, and it's that he, he, he wants them to know that he, he doesn't need them. Right? So it's an interesting way to do a thank you note, right? So he, he doesn't want them to think that he's, he's dependent on them. He doesn't want them to feel guilty, and he also maybe doesn't want them to think that they're in control of this relationship. I don't know, but he wants them to know, you know, I really appreciate what you gave me, but if you didn't give to me, someone else would have, or God would have provided some other way. That's, that's kind of what he's, he's saying there. And so he, he wants them to know that. And this is the point where he brings up contentment. Right? This is where he brings up contentment. He, he, he says to them there in verses 11 and 12, uh, I'm, my, I'm content regardless. Regardless, you send me money or don't send me money. I'm, I'm content, he says. My, and so what is he saying? It's this first principle. Contentment is independent of our circumstances. He, he says it in verses 11 and 12. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in in any and every circumstance. He repeats the concept. It's so important. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I've seen it all, Paul says. That's really what he's saying there. I've seen it all. Uh, He talks about being in need. The word means uh, humble or, or even humiliating circumstances. And Paul had certainly known his share of those. And then the word plenty describes like overflowing, right? Like the classic cornucopia, that old picture, you know, and it's so much of harvest and everything that's just pouring out of it. It's overflowing. That's what that word plenty means. Paul says, I've, I've known both. I've had times when supplies were abundant and there was plenty to eat and dessert to boot. Uh, and I've known times where I didn't know if we were going to have anything to eat tomorrow morning, right? I've, I've known both, he says. And I've learned how to be content either way in times of plenty, and in times of need. I've learned to be content, independent, he says, of my circumstances. As I say, that is not an easy lesson. That is not an easy lesson. Most of us struggle with with this one. And I think probably the the most familiar place to see this, the one that's easiest for us to understand, is, is with possessions, right? With material possessions. I mean, be honest. Have you ever bought something just to feel better? 
Right? If you're bought something, just, just, just you know, I don't feel good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy something. I know I've done that, and I don't even like to shop. I really don't like to spend money, Laura will tell you. I don't even like to shop, and I do that, and I, I suspect many of us do. Uh, sometimes it's something small, you know, like a, you know, a, a coffee that, you know, I've already had lots of coffee, but I want another coffee, or, you know, maybe sometimes it's something big, you know, the car I'm driving works just fine, but eh, it's time for you know, I, I want a Bluetooth thing or, you know, something like that. You know, sometimes it's something small, sometimes it's something big. Uh, but we, we do it to feel better. We, we do it to, to make ourselves feel better. The problem with that is that it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. It, you know, it might scratch the itch for a, for a minute or a week or a month, but, but before we know it, sooner or later, usually sooner, we, we find ourselves wanting more. We want more. And like I say, I find that material possessions are the simplest place, the clearest place to see that going on in my own heart and in other people's hearts sometimes too. But it's not just there. It's not just that kind of thing. It carries over into so many other areas of life. If we're comfortable, we want to be more comfortable. Right? If we're successful, we want to be more successful. If we're wealthy, well, that's good, but you know, things are dicey. I want to be more wealthy. If I'm, if I'm in a secure situation, I want to be more secure. And, and I will say at this point, and this is where there's some tension with this kind of a passage, there is such a thing as, as holy ambition. There really is. I would, I, it's a different sermon, but I, I do believe that. It is not wrong uh, to want to use our talents and abilities uh, to their fullest extent. Right? I mean, that's why God gives us talents and abilities and spiritual gifts and all the rest of that. Uh, it's not wrong to want to use those things. Uh, Paul, I guarantee you, did not want to be languishing in a Roman house arrest situation, right? That's not what he wanted. What he wanted was to be preaching the gospel all throughout Rome. That was his, his ambition. He wanted to get out of Rome and, and go to Spain, uh, in fact. And so, and so it, is, it is good. It is good and right to want to strive uh, for, for, to do our best and for God's best. It's good to want God's best in our lives. But, but here's where this issue presses on us if it doesn't work out that way. And it so often doesn't in a fallen world. If it doesn't work out, if, if the Lord closes the door instead of opening it, if, if uh, that dating relationship, we thought she was the one, he was the one, if that then uh, falls through, uh, if, if the markets crash, if the savings dwindle, uh, can we still be grateful? Can we still be grateful in those situations? Have we learned? Are we learning? I think it's a lifelong lesson. Are we learning to be content in, in any and every situation? That's where that presses us. And as I say, it's not an easy lesson. So if, if any, anyone besides me is convicted on this one, know you're in good company. Uh, Martin Luther struggled with it, right? The father of the Reformation, uh, Luther once wrote, he said, next to faith itself, this is the highest art, uh, to be content, to be content with the calling in which God has placed you. I, Luther said, have not learned it yet. <laughs> I have not learned it yet. And so it's a, a hard lesson. This, this, uh, this first lesson that contentment is independent of our circumstances. And that's why we need help. Right? We need help with this lesson, which brings us to the second lesson. Uh, it picks right up in the middle of uh, verse 12. Let me, let me read it first, kind of picking up where I left off. Uh, he says, In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Uh, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
So the second lesson we need to learn is that contentment is dependent on the Lord's strength. So it's independent of our circumstances, and it's dependent on Him. We can't do it in ourselves. We need Him to do it in us. That's the second lesson. Paul identifies this as the secret, right? He says, this is the secret. He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the secret. I, I, actually, in my Bible, I actually wrote in a colon at the end of verse 12, and I think that's okay. Uh, here's the secret. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things, Paul says, through him who gives me strength. Uh, that right there might be one of the most misunderstood, misapplied verses in the Bible, right? It may well be a lot of us, a lot of Christians, and a lot of non-Christians for that matter, uh, misunderstand this verse. We, we do. Uh, reminds me a little bit of the, the doctor who came home from work one day, and his, his uh, five-year-old son was, was playing there on the floor in his bedroom, and dad popped in, said hello, and the little boy looked up, saw dad still in his doctor's coat and his stethoscope and all the rest, and the little boy said, dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. I want to be a doctor just like you. And well, dad was kind of flattered. He said, well, that's great, son, but you know, you don't have to be a doctor. You don't, you don't have to be a doctor just because I'm a doctor. You can be anything you want. And, I was like, really? Anything's, yeah, a doctor. You know, you could be a doctor, but you could be a lawyer. You could be a farmer. You could be whatever you want. The boy's like, anything. He's like, anything. He says, well, the boy says, well, I want to be a tiger. I want to be a tiger. That's what I want to be, he said. <laughs> that's not what the verse means, right? And sometimes that's where the misapplication comes sometimes. We, we almost treat it almost like a, like a talisman, is, is that right? You know, if, we, if, I, if I say the verse, you know, if we, if we, we say a, a prayer before the game, we'll win the state championship or, you know, whatever. You know, that's kind of the classic one because athletes, we, we kind of do it the worst. But, but it, it gets used that way, almost as if, if I hope it hard enough, it'll come to pass. That's not what the verse is saying. And he said, now somebody's going to push back now, and you should. You say, well, well, wait a minute. It says all things. Right? Does all things mean all things or doesn't it? Right? What does all things mean if it doesn't mean all things? Why does it say all things if it doesn't mean all things? And the, the answer here, and we have to understand this with, with so many passages, especially this one, the answer is context. Context. What's he talking about? He's not talking about doing all the things that exist. He's talking about the things he's talking about. Right? So go to the verse before. What's he talking about? He's talking about living in plenty. Right? When I've got all I need and then some. And he's talking about living in hunger, and I'm not sure where tomorrow's dinner is coming from. He's talking about living in abundance. He's talking about living in times of need. That's the all things, right? He's just drawn the, the, uh, the line for us. It's from here to here. All these things, I can do them all. How? Through him who gives me strength. That's the secret. We don't do it on our own strength. We're not talking stoicism or asceticism or any of those other isms where, where we kind of human beings deny themselves and, and really discipline themselves. That's not, what he, that's not what it's about. It's about the Lord. It's about him and knowing him and in his strength uh, at work in our lives. That's the secret, Paul says. Many years ago, uh, the Tournament of Roses parade, that big parade they have in California on, uh, I think it's January 1st, uh, was delayed. There was a delay in the Tournament of Roses parade. And, and it was underway, you know, it was being televised on, t on TV and all the rest, and everything was going fine, and the floats and all the rest. And, and then all of a sudden, the whole thing ground to a halt. And the reason was that one of the floats, kind of halfway through, couldn't go anymore. It just suddenly stopped. And so all the floats behind it couldn't go anymore either. There was no way to get around it. And uh, they, so they quickly tried to figure out what was wrong. And it was pretty easy to figure it out. The float ran out of gas, 
All right, the truck that the float was mounted on, the float ran out of gas. And so they had to wait. The whole thing had to wait while somebody ran off to get uh, a can of gasoline for this truck. The irony in the whole thing is that the float was sponsored by the Standard Oil Company. <laughs> right? right? All the, one of the, you know, the biggest oil companies in the world at the time. Uh, all those resources at their disposal in their own truck runs, runs out of gas. That's a little bit like what it's like when, when we try to find contentment in anything but God. We've got all the vast resources of the king of the universe, the one who loves us and and invites us to love him back. We have all of that, and we try to find find it in in all this little stuff, all the stuff of earth. Uh, No wonder we stall out sometimes. No wonder. C.S. Lewis put it oh so well. This is uh, from Mere Christianity, his classic work. Uh, Lewis wrote, God designed the human machine, you and me, to run on himself. He himself is the fuel that our spirits were designed to burn. There is no other. Uh, That is why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. Close quote. So that's the second lesson, lesson number two. If we're going to be content, it starts with God. We, We need, it starts and ends with God. We need to be dependent on the Lord's strength. Number three, the third lesson that we need to learn is that we need to learn to be confident in the Lord's provision. So confident in the Lord's provision. We need to trust is really what this last point is about. We need to learn to trust that God is going to provide. And that's what Paul talks about in the last part of this morning's text. Verses, uh, I'm going to jump to verses 18 and 19. He says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. Epaphroditus was one of theirs. I've received the gifts you sent with him, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul was confident. He was confident that the Lord would meet his needs. That, was, that, was, that flows right out of what we just talked about. This is part of the secret too. Confident that God is going to take care of it. If I'm in a season of abundance, I am confident that that abundance came from the Lord. And if I'm in a season of, of uh, struggle and I don't have enough, I'm confident that what he's providing is enough and he'll meet any, any shortfall. Right? That's, that's, what Paul is, that's what he's described for us. In, in this passage. God's, I'm, I'm confident in the Lord either way, is what he's saying, uh, whether in plenty or in want, he says. But here's the good part for you and me. The good part for us is that this isn't just true for Paul. And he wants the Philippians and he wants us to know it. It's not just true for Paul. It's true for all of us. It's true for everyone who trusts in Jesus. That's what he says in verse 19. And my God, he says, will supply every need of yours. Right? Saying to these people who had just made sacrifices to send a gift to help him, he says, you know what? God's going to meet your needs too. Out of what? Out of his own riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And so not only is God going to take care of me, Paul says, he's going to take care of you. And that's very important to specify because it would be possible to read a letter like this and a chapter like this and say, well, that's what God's going to do for the apostles. You know, sure, Paul wrote, you know, a third of the New Testament. Of course, God's going to do that for him. But no, Paul says, this is for you too. If you name the name of Jesus, if you trust in him, this is for you too. He will provide for you. It might not be the way we expect. It might not be the way we want, 
Again, I don't think Paul wants to be in house arrest in Rome. It might not be the way we want, but it will be the way we need. It'll be what we need. Way back in the 1880s, right? 1880s, a Christian couple named George and Sarah Clark uh, felt called to start a ministry. They felt a call from God to start a new ministry. And so they purchased a beer hall a beer hall in Chicago called the Pacific Beer Garden. They dropped the word beer, added the word mission, uh, and with that they founded what is actually the oldest rescue mission in the United States. It's the oldest continuously going rescue mission helping homeless people and, and, uh, and, and poor people um, in, in the United States. It's in Chicago. It's called the Pacific Garden Mission. Maybe you've heard of it, Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago. Uh, they founded this mission, but there were struggles. So often as there are with those kinds of ministry, there were, there were struggles. And, and very early on in their work, they faced a financial crisis. They, they, the whole thing was about to fall apart. Funds were running low, donations were down. And the day came when they, they couldn't, in fact, they'd already missed a few payments. Uh, and and they, the day came from the, the bank, the lender, that they had 24 hours to make a payment on that mortgage to pay them up to where they needed to be, or they were going to lose the property. The whole thing was going to be taken away from you. You got 24 hours, the, the, the lender said. They tried everything else. They didn't know what else to do, so they, they prayed. Uh, this couple, and they got a few friends together, I guess, and they, they spent the whole night praying, asking God, oh, would you please provide? Please give us what we need to, to keep the place open. The next morning, the sun came up. They uh, opened up their, their front door, their yard, the little house they lived in, and they were surprised to see that the yard was covered in white. The front yard was covered in white. You say, well, of course it was. It was Chicago. Uh, but it wasn't winter. It wasn't winter time. It was warm, warm season. And so they see all this white in the yard. Looks like snow. And so they, they get down, they look closer, and they discovered that overnight their lawn, and you know how they, you, this happens sometimes with us, just on a much smaller scale, overnight their lawn had, had sprouted out of the blue, apparently, this whole crop of mushrooms. And it wasn't just kind of random dangerous mushrooms. Don't try this at home, kids. But uh, it, it was a, a, one or the other of them recognized them. It was a, a, basically a delicacy. It was a kind of mushroom that was very popular at that time in restaurants, rest, high-end restaurants, loved to cook with this kind of mushroom. And even more amazing, it wasn't even the right season. It wasn't that mushroom's season, but there they were in the front yard. And, and so the Clarks got some, some baskets and they gathered up all the mushrooms that were out there. They took them to one of the, the local, uh, one of the area restaurants it's called the Palmer House. They sold the mushrooms to the Palmer House, and there was enough money from the sale to pay the mortgage and uh, some other bills that had stacked up as well. The Lord will provide, right? I love stories like that. The Lord will provide. Uh, he might do it miraculously, right? Like a story like that, he might do it miraculously. He might just do it with a job, which if you really need a job, feels like a miracle, right? And is, right? He might just do it with a job or a gift or an unexpected bonus that comes. Or you know what? It might just be the wisdom and the self-control to make do with what we already have. Sometimes that's the way he provides. The passage doesn't give us, that's a beautiful thing about verse 19. The passage doesn't give us the details, right? Paul doesn't go into the details there. Instead, he gives us something far better. He gives us a promise. God gives us a promise. My God will. It's not might. It's not kind of like, well, my God might. You know, maybe he'll take care of you. Maybe he won't. No, it's my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches. And here's the contentment part. You say, how, I, I needed to connect this thread myself. Maybe some of you do. How does that connect to contentment? Here's the contentment part. When we believe that promise, it leads to contentment. Believing that promise leads to contentment. If we trust that the Lord's going to provide and we really believe that, then it means that what we have 
is what he provided. I mean, there may be a need that he's going to fill in still, but fundamentally speaking, if we believe that the Lord's going to provide, then what we have is what he provided. And so instead of saying, that's not good enough, I want more, over time we train our hearts to say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you've provided. And so contentment is confident. It's confident in the Lord's provision. Billy Graham wrote an autobiography, wrote the story of his own life years ago. It was actually in the 1990s. He lived so long. He wrote it back in the 90s. Uh, The book was called Just As I Am, Just As I Am. And uh, he told a story in there about contentment that I'd like to close with. Uh, So these are Billy Graham's words from his own autobiography. Uh, He says, some years ago, Ruth and I were visiting an island in the Caribbean. Uh, One of the wealthiest men in the world had asked us to come to his home, his lavish home, for lunch. He was 75 years old, and throughout the entire meal, he seemed close to tears. I am the most miserable man in the world, he said. Out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy, yet I am as miserable as hell, the man said. We talked to him and prayed with him, trying to point him to Christ. Then we went down the hill to a small cottage where we were staying, and that afternoon the pastor of a local Baptist church came to call. He was an Englishman, and he too was 75, a widower who spent most of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters. He was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and others. I don't have two pounds to my name, he said with a smile, but I am the happiest man on this island. After the second man left, he'd stayed for tea or whatever it was. After that second man left, Billy Graham turned to his wife and he said, who do you think is the richer man? Who do you think is the richer man? First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's a great thing for us to remember. On a, on a, on a Sunday like this, the week before, celebra- uh, before Thanksgiving as we celebrate this week, let's be thankful. Let's be thankful for the blessings. And a big part of how we do that, a big part of how we say thank you, Lord, for the blessings is to be content with them, to be content with the blessings that he gives. Would you pray with me, please? Lord in heaven, thank you so much for, uh, for this letter and for this part of it that we've been able to study together today. Uh, I want to ask for myself and every one of us here and everyone who's catching this online or DVD or whatever, Uh, Help us to learn the secret, Lord, the secret to being content, which is the secret to gratitude, Uh, to lean into you, to trust in you, to be confident in your provision, to accept what you provide, and to trust that you will will take care of us, Lord. Thank you so much. Thank you for the blessings that we we have. Thank you for the harvest this year. Thank you for um, the homes we have to live in. Thank you for the weather. Thank you for, we could go on and on and on. I guess some of us will come back tonight and do that in the praise service. Uh, But in all of it, we are grateful to you and we praise you and we worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.